My name is Josh. Just Josh. No last name. Or at least no last name I can tell you. I am a podcaster. I guess that makes me one of the most hunted, endangered species on Earth. I'm just kidding. There's way too many of us. This is Josh Gunderson, and you're listening to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition. Welcome, everyone, to the Millennial Agenda Animorphs Edition, a weekly discussion of K.A. Applegate's sci-fi action series, Animorphs. I am your host, Josh Gunderson, and I am joined by my Animorphs Edition co-host, Kevin Morey. This week, we are discussing Book 7, The Stranger. Marco and Tobias have discovered another entrance to the underground Yerk Pool. The Animorphs decide to break in, morphed as roaches, to wreak some havoc and hopefully destroy the Kondrona. They are spotted and about to be eaten by a hungry Taxon, and it's almost lights out for all of them. When time freezes and suddenly they are all outside of the Taxon, demorphed, Tobias is there in his original human form and everyone's freaking out. At this point, we are introduced to an all-powerful being known as the Elemist, who informs them that they are going to lose the war against the Yerks and offers them the chance to be transplanted to another planet along with their families and a handful of other Earth species to live in a preserved zoo-like situation. They decide not to take the offer, and the Elemist tells them that he will make the offer one more time should they survive their current situation. He puts them all back where they were before time froze, and they have to bust their way out of a taxon and manage to escape the pool, having accomplished absolutely nothing, so it's completely on brand for them. They spend a few days mulling over the offer from the Elemist, and they meet up to take another vote, but before they do, the Elemist shows up again and transports them into the future, where the Yerks have won and taken over the entire human race. Rachel is also confronted by her future self, who is now a controller and Visser 3 turned Visser 1's right-hand woman. The group is just as suddenly returned to the present time where they decide to take a vote and in turn take the Elemist up on his offer to save what they can, but he doesn't show up to accept. After a couple days, it dawns on Rachel that the Elemist has been indirectly trying to help the Animorphs, and their trip to the future was actually meant to show them the location of the Kondrona. The Animorphs mount an assault on the building where it is hidden and destroy it by pushing it out of a 60th story window. And that is The Stranger, brought to you by Rachel, making terrible decisions. Again. (laughs) Oh, man. But to be fair, I think this book has the most good decisions and well-thought-out plans that we've seen so far. It, It does, and it's definitely, it's got so much going on. But my problem is, if... If I'm remembering correctly, in the last book, so the capture, um, we didn't really talk about the cold open in that book, but the cold open is Jake attempting to mort a cockroach for the first time and ending up trapped in a roach motel behind his fridge and almost getting caught by his parents. And Cassie even says, hey, maybe from now on, instead of trying new morphs by ourselves, like have a buddy, like use the buddy system. And they're all like, yeah, we should definitely do that. And then in this book, Rachel's like, you know what? I'm not feeling the elephant for this battle. I think I'm going to break into the gardens by myself in the middle of the night, get myself a grizzly bear, and then try morphing that for the first time ever in the middle of a life or death situation. I'm sure it's going to be fucking fine. But also to be fair, um, one very important thing that we, you know, there was a whole lot in this book so that you could only fit so much into that opening spiel, but... Uh, one thing that Rachel's dealing with in this book is that her divorced parents um, let her know that her dad is taking a job in another state, and he gives Rachel the choice to move with him. So Rachel is facing two huge decisions in this book. One is, 
Do I leave my mom and my sisters and move with my dad where I have all these really cool opportunities for my future and abandon the Animorphs? Or, you know, do I hurt my dad and stay here and help this fight against the Yerks? Also, do I want to save all of humanity or or try to save all of humanity? Or do I want to just go ahead and save people I know and love, plus a handful of others, and move to a whole new planet? Like, she is dealing with a whole lot here. Um, so I kind of understand why she's just like, you know what? I need some firepower. I know it needs to be done. I'm just going to do it right now. Let's just go take care of this. <laughs> Stupid decision? Yes. But I also get where she's coming from. I mean, that whole... That was kind of my only issue with this book was that kind of very ham-fisted parallel of her having to deal with that decision mm -hmm. like i we we know this is tough we don't need to be beat over the head with it she's got some tough choices to make so i just i thought it was very just kind of way too much in your face with that the parallel of uh, what's going on in her personal life along with her her animal life but i get it i mean i completely get it i was about that age when I was given the decision of whether or not to stay with my mom or go with my dad. So I wasn't dealing with an alien invasion at the same time, but I understand the complexities of that situation. Right. I just, you know, wouldn't put myself and others in dangers by turning into a grizzly bear. Yeah. Without having tested that first. But that's, that's fair. That's just me. But also, it was kind of a good thing that she goes berserk because so when they're escaping from being eaten by the taxon, um, as cockroaches, they have to demorph as humans. So obviously, a bunch of humans and one andalite coming out of a random tax and just exploding in the middle of uh, the <laughs> Yerk equivalent of the Mouseketeria. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's going to be obvious that, hey, look, those humans just morphed, like, clearly. But thanks to her not having control of the grizzly, she literally just kills everyone that saw them. I mean, there's a couple of people that are knocked unconscious, but like 90% of the people who saw humans morphing are dead. So nothing to worry about. <laughs> that popped into my head, but it kind of mm -hmm. led me to an interesting kind of quandary as to the education of Yerks. I mean, how well spread is the knowledge that an Andalite can't go from one morph to another? Oh, that's common knowledge. It's yeah. If if they see if they see somebody coming out of a morph, their first thought is going to be, "Why is that not turning into an andalite right now?" <laughs> it's yeah. It's, it would be very clear that that is a non-andalite with andalite technology. Well, she does also say that she. I mean, it's it's probably a, a ka covering up for a bad plan. Mm -hmm. But she does say like, "I don't even know what I look like covered in all this dead taxon." Yeah, and that's fair. And and also, uh, having already read ahead a little bit, in addition to having read the series a couple times, the next book, other than the Megamorphs book that we're going to do next, um, does kind of cover this plot hole or plot inconsistency, I'll say. Um, so we do get kind of an answer in book number eight. Eight, yeah, eight. Yeah. In book number, we do get an answer in book number eight for how did they get away with morphing in front of all of these controllers. So flashing, flashing back a little bit, because um, you've just tried your best to defend Rachel's horrible decisions. Let's start with her first <laughs> terrible decision at the beginning of this book with our, our cold open, where she had gone to the circus with her, her dad and her sister. Does she have more than one sister? Or is it Two sisters, one? Jordan and Sarah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she, she goes to the circus and she's decided that she is not a fan of how the elephants are being treated. So she, I'm assuming, just flat out bullies Cassie into joining her on this quest where she returns to the circus, morphs into an elephant, 
and harasses the elephant trainer for funsies. Yeah, you know, it's it's not like she was recently uh, an elephant on live television and then berated by the other animals for doing that. So, you know, at least there's no live stream going on while she's doing this one. It's just one person seeing it. And a handful of elephants. Rachel, come <laughs> on. And she's just sitting there like, I'm the elephant police. I don't like this. Like the... And then she flings him into a tent, just casual things. But like, you don't think he's like, first off, you're lucky he's not a controller. Second off, what happens if he goes talking about like this elephant talked to me? <laughs> like what? Rachel, get it together. And Cassie. Yeah, come this, on. this was not a good plan. Um, I feel like, you know, people say like, choose your battles. And Rachel is like, yes, I choose all of them. <laughs> like, I, I feel like maybe there was more subtle ways to have some animal activism going on. Like maybe finding some kind of morph that would let them like take down the tent so that people in the audience could see how the elephants were being treated backstage, you know, pulling back the curtain kind of a thing instead of just jumping straight to now, let me attack this dude and traumatize him. <laughs> not a smart plan. I'm not, I'm not behind this one. Rachel. So I will say that they they did go into the Yerk pool this time around with a decent plan. It didn't work. Because I mean, the, the taxon wasn't like maliciously going after them. It was, I'm a taxon. There's something to eat. I'm going to eat it. So I will I will go ahead and give them that. And so we do meet the the Elemist, which that's what we're we're calling it. But the like he, the, the Elemist are more than one. Like they're they it's I feel like they're a species much more than just a single being. Sort of. Um, and when when they first encounter it and acts as the one who knows what's going on, he says it's an Elemist, not the Elemist. So this character is not the only being of its type, but it kind of is. It's something that we really won't get into until almost the end of the series. There is a whole book that tells you all about what this being is, how it came to be what it is now but it's there it's just a whole lot that we don't really we can't touch on until the very end i mean really that book could be read anywhere in the sequence of the whole timeline um but it does it starts and ends with a moment that happens in the final book in the animorphs timeline it doesn't so it's hmm, this is so hard to talk about without getting into spoilers don't basically well no i'll just i'll say it this way the elemist appears to a character in that final book in a very pivotal moment and so the the book the elemist chronicles it starts with that moment and it ends with that moment it never gets into who that character is or what is happening to them specifically but it's better saved for the end of the series um as far as how it relays or how it relates to that moment in the last book but the actual like meat of the elemis chronicles can be read at any point in the series so it's i don't know that was a tangent but we will learn all about the elemis is the main point of all that <laughs> just not for a while so he is not supposed to interfere but he spends this entire book doing a pretty good job at interfering because in that first moment like he is like okay well if you're not gonna come with me i'm gonna go ahead and put you back inside that taxon but i'm also gonna oh i just gotta do a quick stretch before i use my magic and give you just enough time to notice this drop shaft over here and oh you are you looking they looking are they looking all right you're back in the taxon. <laughs> and it was the same thing with because i I firmly 
do not believe that that flash into the future was real. I think that was concocted. There's no way that was real. And I, I, I'm saying that because Visser 3 didn't eat anybody. Well, okay, so I, I have strong opinions about this, and they are mostly backed up by this book. So that future that they saw was real. It was an alternate timeline. So it wasn't necessarily the timeline that they were currently living in. It wasn't everything we're doing right now is going to lead us to that no matter what. That was a, hey, this is a thing that is happening in some way, in some universe, and it could be yours if you take the you know the right steps or in this case the wrong steps to get to that point um so it was a very real reality it just wasn't necessarily theirs think very much like um like with marvel with the whole infinity saga with uh uh end game where they're jumping between different realities to get you know the infinity stones same concept different timelines same kind of reality but not really so all that really did happen and the the main reason why Visitor 3 slash 1 doesn't eat anybody is because they don't understand that it's an alternate reality, alternate timeline situation. They're thinking of it as a fixed timeline where if they harm one of these Animorphs from the past, it's going to mess up their future. But really, it would just mess up the timeline that the Animorphs are from if he were to do that. So like, really, he could have attacked them, but you know, which Rachel tries to do also, because she's like, hey, you're in the future, I don't care. And I think it's really funny that she is in the book, she literally morphs into a grizzly bear and lunges at him. And then <laughs> right as she's about to hit him, they get transported back to Cassie's barn, but not even Cassie's barn, the woods by Cassie's barn, because she hits a tree <laughs> with her hand. She <laughs> smacks it. And I'm like, the Elemist is such a dick that he literally, he could have just sent them back into the barn and she could have slapped like a bale of hay. And he's like, nah, she's going to slap a tree. Let me put them outside. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I were an Elemist, that's probably some shit that I would pull too. Like, let's mm -hmm. let's be real. But I, so I, I'm somewhat vindicated because they, they do at least eat Tobias in the future. <laughs> that's true. You're, you're not wrong. He does eat somebody. He eats Tobias with barbecue sauce. <laughs> how unnecessary was that moment <laughs> <laughs> but it does give us a glimpse at something we we touched on earlier because we see axe freaking out about uh experiencing human taste and visitor three is like hey you know what barbecue sauce is actually really good um good job on that one i appreciate that from you guys uh i ate your friend with it um and i enjoyed it so thank you tasted great <laughs> So we do see a Yerk slash Andalite talking about how much they enjoy Earth tastes. But I don't see Hawk as being very good to eat. I feel like oh, it would it'd be, be terrible. incredibly just tough. Yeah, it. I mean, there's a reason we don't breed them for eating. They're just wild animals. Um, I feel like in a pinch, you know, if you're if you're stranded in the wild and you need something to eat, a Hawk is not going to be the easiest thing to catch and eat. But like if you can get one... You know, beggars can't be choosers, but yeah, he he pulled a classic Visitor 3 move and he just ate someone just for the sake of being a dick. But I'm just shocked he didn't eat the rest of the Animorphs. He actually just put Yerks in them and called it a day. Of course, I wonder at what... Like, at what... Oh, well, they're useful. I mean, especially Rachel. Um, but Tobias is of no use to him because he's just a bird with a human mind. You know, what are they going to do with that? But the rest of them can actually morph. So that's a great capability for hosts. But I, I wonder, was he already promoted to Visser 1? Because I feel like his whole reasoning for not wanting anyone else to be able to morph is because he wants to move up in the world. 
Yeah, and that's probably, I mean, that's implied to be part of his promotion in that timeline is that he conquered Earth, conquered the Animorphs. Potentially even, I mean, at that point, it's that many years in the future. We know that the Andalites are one or two years away at this point. And it's pretty clear from Rachel's future self that we are more than one or two years in the future. So it's even implied that they somehow beat off the Andalites from Earth. Yeah. Although that's... There's a whole other can of worms there that we'll get into later on, uh, much later in the series with the Andalites' return. But it's implied that the Andalites did not save Earth. There's also a very interesting moment in that meeting with Visser 3. And I don't know, I I, I might just be reading way too much into it, but that's Mm -hmm. the the whole point of all of this. So Visser 3 is is taunting them. It's chapter 21. And um, they're meeting future Rachel, and they're seeing Visser 3 slash Visser 1. And he's talking about how he knows that the Elemis has brought him here. And Visser 3 says, in your own time, you face a choice. The element has brought you six humans, dot, dot, dot. You five humans and one Andalite, dot, 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 mm-hmm. here to show you the future. And it's an interesting slip. And it, it like it's not something that you, this isn't life. It's not an accident that they left this in the book. It was right. a very interesting slip of the tongue. Oh, yeah, that was very intentional. And that was another reason why we know it's not a fixed timeline, because that future slash alternate reality version of Rachel was expecting six humans and zero Andalites. So that was some reality where there was either a sixth individual with them when they first saw Elfangor and got the power to morph, or they had a sixth person join them at some point, which is some interesting foreshadowing, well to say. But I remember that. Like I remember I know I know I know what's coming. Yeah, anyone who's read the books knows exactly what that is foreshadowing. And anyone who hasn't read the books and is reading along for the first time, there'll be something big coming down the road. We'll we'll, 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 we'll talk about it when I get there. But yeah, no, that was not a slip. That was very intentionally placed in there. They even mention like, oh, you didn't expect Axe to be here. So we can still change this. Not a slip at all. Very intentional. It shows that they are not in a fixed timeline. They are in an alternate reality. Yeah, and it was very, it felt very Terminator-esque, the way they were describing just skeletons everywhere, and the mall (laughs) has turned into a taxon hive, and it was, like, that's actually a visual that I'm really excited to see translated into some sort of something, (laughs) whether it be a a movie. I'm, I'm flashing back to the episode from the Animorphs TV show because they do cover this plot on the TV show. They do, but they stretched it out over a few episodes and they kind of mixed it with other plots from other books, which I feel is the only way to make a a movie happen. There's too much information in every book and we can't do 54 movies. Uh, This is a whole other tangent. (laughs) (laughs) They then decide, like, yes, we are going to, like, we've seen the future, we don't like it. Mm -hmm. Elemis take us away and he doesn't show up and it's because he is very much indirectly controlling the outcome of this this war he is not supposed to be interfering but he's found all these fun little loopholes because it it seems like his offer feels like you're dealing with one of those like evil little fairy creatures that like they'll grant (laughs) you a wish but it's not going to come out the way you think it is because he's he essentially wants to send them to a zoo and they're like, nah, we we good, bro. How about not? And 
he he wants them to win. So I'm curious what kind of stake the the Elemist species has in this. And I I know we do get. I never read the Elemist Chronicles. That was well beyond my reach of reading these books. Like I said, I think I stopped somewhere in the twenties. I I know I made it past the David trilogy, but <laughs> I want to say not too much further than that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not I'm not sure. And I know we I if I'm remembering correctly, we do see the Elemist again. This is not the last we have seen of him mm-hmm. because there's some things that I'm remembering that I don't want to say out loud while we're recording <laughs> that that happens. But then they. They finally, I think this is the first book where the they've they actually accomplished something useful because they Rachel realizes that this this office building is left standing in the future and that it's because it's because it does house the Kendrona, but it it brings up some questions for me about the Kendrona and how that works because so the Yerks are essentially photosynthesized. That's how they get their nutrients mm-hmm. is what it sounds like. But if the Kendrona is on the 60th floor of this big ass building and the year pool is underground. That means the Kendrona has to broadcast through the building down into the ground to get to the pool. Why on earth can't it just beam through a living being's head and they never have to leave their hosts? I don't know if we ever get more into like the science of how the Kandrona works. So I don't know if there's an actual answer to this, but the way it works in my head is it's more like an electrical current than anything else where it is, it's not just like something that's sitting in that building and it just beams out this like broad signal. Um, I imagined it more being connected specifically to something that goes down to the ground, kind of like you described, and then go all the way to the Yerk pool. And I think that they, it, it, to me, it's implied that they had to select where it was going to be installed, and they had it was like a one-shot, like, okay, once it's here, it doesn't move. And that's why they chose that building, to make it like a big statement and say, like, all right, this is eventually going to be like our headquarters over here. Because they do establish that it's a good distance from the actual Yerk pool that's under the mall and the school uh, to the downtown area. So to me, that implies it's somehow connected to that current Yerk pool, but it can't move. And it's not like, it's not like sending out like, like a radio signal. It's not like Wi-Fi. Um, and they also, they absorb it specifically in the Yerk pool, which is not composed of water. It's like a sludgy stuff in there. So they actually have to go into that sludge, whatever it is, and that's how they absorb the Kendrona. Yeah, directly from the sludge into their skin. Which apparently <laughs> from the last book smells a little bit like shit. Yeah. Because that's, that, was, that was something we, never, we didn't really talk about, but apparently a year pool smells like shit. Yep. So, and then, but then after they destroy it, the Alamist comes back and he's like, hey, great job, uh, BT Dubs. There's a new one already on the way, but like, you did good. <laughs> congrats to be fair this is a pretty major victory for them and the the biggest one that they've seen so far because this is really going to incapacitate the yurks i mean we i think we touched on this before like they they now only have the candrona that's on their mothership up in orbit and it's not easy to send people there and back every three days so they're going to have a lot of yurks dying out from this yeah and 
I I also have to imagine that they had to pull a lot of resources because the Kendrona wasn't the only thing that went out the window. A Horkvashir went with it. Now, granted, mm-hmm. 60 floors is a pretty decent fall, but you got you got Horkvashir all over your sidewalk. I I feel like that was not an easy cover-up situation, along with this piece of alien technology that... So the, the Yerks are probably going to have a big scramble on their hands after after dealing I mean, it is five in the morning, so probably not a whole lot of people seeing that, you know, but it wouldn't, you know, I I feel like if there is anybody seeing it, it's going to be a couple of bystanders and the Yerks would just grab them and infest them at that point. But then now we, I assume that with all these soon to be starving Yerks, I mean, Yerks dying off, that's, that's great, but I I can't help but imagine that it's, that's going to have its own repercussions down the line because anyone that's not getting their Kendrona, like they can't just let them go free. It's it's right. like our, it's like our mystery woman from book one. Like how's she doing? <laughs> <laughs> she, she can't have just <laughs> run off. Like she's not, she, she didn't go home. She's not okay. No one is talking about this. So Rachel's deadbeat dad uh, gives her this, this choice which he's not deadbeat. I shouldn't say that. He's apparently a very prominent news reporter. And she decides to stay on in this battle because she's, she's made the choice that she wants to save the entire world while angrily getting ripped apart as a, as a bear, because that last battle does not go well for like they win, but like she loses a hand. Mm -hmm. Marco gets pretty fucked up. Jake's not doing well because I, there's this really beautiful moment prior to that battle that is such a random piece of comedy that if your imagination is anything like mine, they bunch up into an elevator, Jake as a tiger, Marco as a gorilla, and her as a bear, trying to, first off, work an elevator, <laughs> which was just funny, and then... They they struggle with that because they're like, we can't, none of us, none of us can push the buttons. This is awkward. And then they're just kind of like chilling in an elevator. And there's really great artwork of it too. <laughs> I think it was, yeah, it was like the interior cover of the book. It's, uh, she's like, the ride seemed to be taking forever. I watched the counter take off fours, 21, 22, 23. And then they're just catching, Jake's just like, so, uh, seen any good movies lately? And <laughs> Rachel's just like, oh, I want to go see that new Keanu Reeves movie, which I now, I kind of want to know what Keanu Reeves movie was coming out at that. Was it, was that it was Speed? In like 97? Um, let me see. I feel like that's around the time that Speed came out. So, or, oh God, could it have been The Matrix? Matrix was 99. So it probably wouldn't have been Matrix just yet. I'm looking at his filmography he was in uh devil's advocate in 97 oh rachel you're too young for that yeah and i don't know if that's like i don't know if that would be like a keanu reeves movie like he's in that movie but uh, i'll be honest i've never seen it i mean technically we're i believe we're still in 96 possibly yeah let's see but there's nothing oh chain reaction in 96 
I don't even know what that is. I don't either. Uh, Feeling Minnesota. Or like maybe A Walk in the Clouds was still in theaters. And that's... That would be 95, yeah. Rachel Speed. Um, Feeling Minnesota? Like, did you ask permission first? Johnny Mnemonic? Maybe. <laughs> 95? I, so who knows? But apparently there's a Keanu Reeves movie coming out. And they're just having this like casual conversation and then she's like suddenly i realize that there's music playing in the elevator the stupid like <laughs> so all i can see in my head is just them sitting there just do 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 it's like <laughs> it's such a it's it's a funny like action movie trope that we see well and then even better that they had to use the freight elevator because they're also heavy but cassie as a wolf and axe take the normal elevator but it takes them longer because axe pushes the wrong button so they have to wait to get to that floor before they can get to their own i think that's just really funny it's just it's it's beautiful what a fun little it reminds me of in this is i oh now i'm gonna forget i think it's called mr right on netflix with anna kendrick and it's about this like assassin spy dude that ends up dating Anna Kendrick. It's an absolutely hilarious movie, but it just kind of reminds me of a lot of the action sequences mm -hmm. in that. It's a very good, like pour yourself a, a bottle of wine and watch it movie. <laughs> so for those of you out there, or, you know, it's a good season for my, my patented apple cider mimosas. So get a bottle of champagne and some apple cider and pour that into a glass and have at it and watch a feel good Anna Kendrick movie. <laughs> you're welcome world this is <laughs> we've gone so many different directions in this episode i don't even know where we are anymore because <laughs> so, it feels this is another time with like this, this is a very dense book like so much is happening and i think it's because we do have that b plot of rachel dealing with that decision with her father and mm -hmm. so she's way she's weighed down by a lot this is actually i enjoyed this rachel book a lot more uh than i did um the visitor mm -hmm. so we're we're a step in the right direction with rachel books and it definitely has a lot more going on than the capture which was a really fun psychological book but we've kind of moved back more into the the actiony side of things right because we're just we're very much on the go a lot in this in this one so it was a good a good departure from where we were last week with jake and of course jake is just a, a terrible narrator to begin with <laughs> imagine how boring this book would have been from jake's perspective it would have been a whole lot of nothing until the final like oh we found the candrona and then rachel was like oh i used my brain you should try it sometime and i was like ah oh, i will I promise it's gonna happen eventually <laughs> <laughs> and we see we do see a lot more of the the rachel tobias relationship because i i yeah. feel like as as the kids would say we we ship them is that i hate myself just for saying that out loud <laughs> but um i mean yeah they they're a pretty great a pretty great ship honestly although i don't know because the series was so far before any of that kind of language of like shipping i don't know if they have a couple name i can't think of how to combine their names to Rachel, Rachias, there's just really not like a Tobichel. <laughs> hate that. Um... <laughs> I mean, what if we went like Hawkafint? 
Oh no. <laughs> I don't like that at all. I uh, you know what, listeners, dear listeners, if you think of a good couple name for them, please let us know. If you're Googling it right now, I can hear you typing. I will slap you. <laughs> I may or may not be Googling it right now. <laughs> oh I don't have any results coming up, though. It looks like it's not really. Uh, yeah, there's there's nothing. Let me try. I'm going to put it out there on, on Twitter and see what, what Twitter has to say about it. You're you're a lot better at Reddit than I am. So I might send oh, you down. Hold on. There's a, there, there wasn't oh, any God. results, but there, I did find a couple name generator. Oh my god, why does that exist? I hate the internet so much right now. Oh, let's take a look here. First name Rachel. <laughs> First name Tobias. Write me some couple names. Oh boy. Okay, so the first one is Robias. Then we have Tachel. <laughs> then we have Rachias. <laughs> then we have Tobchel. Then Rachias. Tobihol. Oh, that's fun. Tobihol? Mm-hmm. Uh, rack bias. Don't. Ooh. Uh, Tochel. T o a c h e l. Tobiael. T o b i a e l. Um, rabias. That's not bad. R a b i a s. It kind of sounds like rabies, but. I I I hate this almost as much. Bile. Tobichel. I... Oh God! Please stop. <laughs> I, I I hate this as much as I hate the scene in this book where Rachel is thinking about Tobias in his dreamy human form while she's in the shower considering the Elemis offer. <laughs> jump us to that scene. I'm trying really hard to get this episode back on track. Oh my gosh. Well, okay, so one thing that I'm really interested in, um, now that you mentioned that, this is a book where they kind of establish their dynamics pre book one so like rachel and jake are cousins but they didn't really ever hang out much they was just kind of like over related rachel and cassie were best friends cassie and jake liked each other and marco only really knew jake he did not know rachel he did not know cassie they were not friends they just kind of knew who the other person was and tobias was kind of like this outlier of both groups where he just was kind of everyone was aware of him but he had that weird connection to Jake since Jake saved him from bullies. So he would kind of like hang out with them awkwardly. But Rachel still knew Tobias. Like she knew who he was before everything. So I feel like Rachel like had like a crush on him from afar, even before all these events took place. Well, if you remember from book two, mm -hmm. she's got a picture of him. Right. Chilling in her underwear drawer. <laughs> <laughs> or wherever she was keeping it. Right. And it wasn't like a like it's it's not like she has like a yearbook she ripped a page out of. She had an actual photo, which in the nineties yeah. took some effort, like we talked about last time. Yeah. You can't just print it. You can't just take a screenshot of it. No. You had to take a photo, go and get it developed. The whole nine yards. Yeah. So I I there's definitely there because like when you look at it, like when she realizes where the Cadrona is she doesn't tell the group she goes to tobias and then at mm -hmm. the at the end of the book when she after she tells her father that she doesn't want to move instead of going with him to the airport to say goodbye she goes to spend the afternoon flying with tobias right so like she's she's crushing real hard i do enjoy the incredibly funny moment down in the year cool when he's there 
as a, a human and she runs over to hug him and he's like, fuck, fly away, fly away. He, he flaps his, his arms. <laughs> it's kind of sad, but also hilarious. Yeah. It, it is. It was, it was a very sad moment because it just shows how much he has, even without the, the hawk brain, you know, battling for control in his head, he's still, you know, he's kind of settled into his life as a hawk. Cause we, again, we really have no idea what the timeline is anymore. I there's definitely been a good couple months between book one and now <laughs> with everything that's gone on. And I still have not brought myself to try to actually find a timeline anywhere. So that probably won't happen until yeah, we're I, a little bit further on. I searched for it last time and I could not find anything. Um, but you know what I did just find? Oh God. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm going to take away your internet connection. <laughs> I just, for fun, for just for funsies, put in the name generator, um, Cassie and Jake. Oh, God. It just says cake. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, I hate uh, it. I, oh, I'm, I'm now, I'm not dreading <laughs> how our next episode is going to go oh my gosh which we'll it's gonna be on. it's gonna be great <laughs> we'll touch on momentarily um that's that's kind of that's where do you have anything else to add into? <laughs> i don't think i do i think we touched on everything in this book and then some um <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think there's really any fun facts for this one. Oh, one thing that i did notice that to me stuck out like a sore thumb um and this was something that was an error in the original, and it was one of those things that they corrected later on uh, in its nomenclature. And to me, it was like, hold up. Um, she, When they're in the future alternate timeline place, and they have that high-speed rail system in that tube, uh, Rachel specifically says it's 20 feet above the ground, almost like the monorail at Disney World. But she wrote Disney World is all one word, and that is definitely not the proper nomenclature. Uh, Ma'am, this is Walt Disney World that we are talking about. There is no Disney World all one word. Um, But they did correct it to just being Disney Space World in uh, the reprint, which is still not correct because it's Walt Disney World. But, you know, whatever. Also, the monorail, I'm pretty sure, is more than 20 feet up in the air. My next question is how high up is the monorail, actually? I'll, maybe we'll, we'll do some we'll do some digging this has been <laughs> the most oh and i say this is this i'm just gonna say this has been the most add episode to date because i know what's coming <laughs> so i hate us so much so on on that note i i thank you all so much for listening i can still hear you typing and it scares me <laughs> please stop <laughs> next week we will be discussing megamorphs book one the andalites gift so that's an important note uh we won't be doing book eight quite yet so we are hitting up the first of the megamorphs books if you have the pdf it's designated as book 7.5 so it should be right in order with how we are going Um, but we are going to be doing that and we might even have i don't know something special for the next episode like a guest that is going to take us completely off the rails and we're going to end up talking about i don't know alien octopuses from planet zedbuff i mean yeah we all know octopuses are not from this world they are so far 
they're so foreign compared to everyone else's DNA that they are absolutely aliens. Um, I, or it's going to happen now, apparently. I hate myself so <laughs> But yes, we will have a special guest, and it will be somebody who is a very appropriate guest when we talk about the Megamorphs. <laughs> I hate, I, hate I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. Um, now I've lost myself on my little wrap-up script. Um, the graphic... <laughs> <laughs> oh, the next episode's going to be five hours long. I'm so sorry. It will be glorious. <laughs> the graphic novel of The Impatient is now available wherever you get your books, and the link to purchase is in the notes as well. Um, if you do want to read along with the series, uh, the link to download the series is in the PDF. I don't like now I'm bouncing around everywhere and I'm so lost in my own little script. New episodes of the Millennial Agenda are available every Monday with new Animorphs editions. Each Friday, you can follow the Millennial Agenda on Facebook and Instagram for more fun content. And please, please, please make sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting platform. Until next time. Happy reading. Ha! <laughs>